welcome back to the Barks Out of the Moon podcast. So back for more, and uh huh. Back for more of your. Can faves. you tell? Can you hear the enthusiasm in my voice? <laughs> yeah, I can see it without saying it. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> um, yeah, so we got we got through another few um, last time out. So let's try and get through another few. And mm-hmm. since then, I've uh, I've been uh, there's three more been added as well. So I'll just oh, keep going. great! But they are drying up. I think more people now. Have, I think a lot of them actually. I got a lot of similar ones, which was interesting as well. But okay, um, this is one that that I uh, everybody hears obviously. Um, uh, particularly um, the dog park chats. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my favourite. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's doggies playing, they're getting very aroused and uh-huh. then male or female dog starts to mount another one. Oh, like um, humping? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then somebody might say, oh, that dog is trying to dominate your dog. You shouldn't allow the dog uh-huh. to do that. You should break that up. Go. Okay. What's happening so just there? The, just the whole thing of the humping thing. Yeah. So, why is is the dog? Are, are, is that why the dogs? Is that why they're? What's the motivation behind well, humping and mounting? So it's probably more complex than that. I would have said. <laughs> yeah. Um, as usual with these things. So humping is social behavior. It's normal dog social behavior. And actually, while we we probably associate it most with kind of like sexualized behavior. And then people are often yeah. surprised that they're a female dog or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they'll say, oh, she's female and she's spayed. And she she sometimes does it to a cushion or somebody's leg or or to yeah. another dog indeed, mm-hmm. to like a male dog or whatever. And people are surprised. So, so certainly humping may be sexualized behavior. Absolutely. We mm-hmm. can sometimes see it in uh, young males who are learning about, the sensations that yep. are involved in that and quite enjoying themselves and they That's can look yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they can direct that at all sorts of uh, humpies uh, yep. inanimate and animate alike um uh, yeah and sometimes yep. <laughs> a lot of people will talk about their bitch as they're coming into season mm-hmm. uh can suddenly start humping cushions and things like that and there may yeah. be some uh you know hormonal and and sensory feedback Mm-hmm. Is what I'm going to say there very diplomatically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they might be quite enjoying that. And in those yeah. situations, um, it often passes. So it passes as the bitch cycles through her season, for example. So there's lots of changes in hormonal activity affecting her behavior around that time. Mm-hmm. And then with boys, young boys, it can it can reduce with age. Um, and sometimes if that's their motivation it can sometimes reduce with neutering and but i've also seen situations where that has been the motivation and it has increased in intensity after castration and that Mm. might be because once they're neutered they can't quite reach the end Mm -hmm. of that and so you know the the payoff Mm -hmm. isn't there so they're trying to (laughs) they're working harder to uh, (laughs) to seek the payoff right Uh, so sometimes that can happen too so that's kind of the sexualized one and then obviously humping happens when they're making babies as well Uh, so that also happens too so that's kind of the sexualized uh, kind of motivations there as well but when we look at humping in social 
contexts and social interactions, mm-hmm. it becomes way more complex. And I don't think there is just one straightforward explanation for it. No. I think it's going to be like other behavior. It's contextual and it's functional. So mm-hmm. I think you're right. Sometimes we will see it when dogs have been, you know, involved in really high octane play mm-hmm. or they might, it might be other kind of so-called high arousal situations that they're playing with another um, kind of quite equally matched individual mm-hmm. um, or they're um, interacting with unfamiliar individuals that, mm-hmm. you know, there's a little bit of kind of trepidation about the interaction. So those sorts of things. So um, we might see it functioning for the individual attempting or seeking to calm themselves down. And mm-hmm. I've also seen a seen it apparently functioning for one dog trying to kind of fun police other dogs they can kind of use it I particularly see that amongst bitches kind of using it to kind of say you need to stop your carry on now chill out chill out yeah yeah, yeah. like a like a, an older dog maybe in the presence of a two younger ones maybe yeah, puppies or something yeah can sometimes happen there mm-hmm. and we could also say there that you know it's kind of a stress response as well and, and they're yeah. kind of they're feeling wound up and they're seeking kind of an outlet for that mm-hmm. um so, but often we'll see it um, in dogs interacting with one another and in, in interactions that we perceive as play, I guess. I don't know that mm. they always are play, but no. certainly we perceive it as play. <laughs> um, and I mean, I've certainly seen it where two dogs are, are engaged in interactions and they're quite seem to be quite into the humping thing you know Mm. that they might hump one another and kind of take turns or one does it to the other and the humpy is like yeah that's fine it's just part of this and then we go off and we play again so it's Mm. quite complex um behavior that i think probably functions quite differently from context to context now is it relating to social rank well it could be that's Mm -hmm. the bottom line of this so um the whole notion of dominance in dogs is something that is difficult to talk about, not because it doesn't exist or does exist or it's some kind of black and white notion. It's more so because there's actually quite a lot of nuance to it. Mm. So the traditional notions of dominance and so-called submission, which is a horrible term, um, mm. and um, are, are, are skewed and they're pretty inaccurate and they're oversimplified. So this idea that there's this kind of very linear structured hierarchy, you know, and everybody mm. just fall, falls into line and follows this, you know, real structure and we all go, go on with that. And it's probably mm. not like that. Social animals, generally speaking, social structures are quite complicated. Mm. And we've looked at, you know, works with uh, wild canids like grey wolves, for example, Mm -hmm. who are obviously a cousin to modern uh, domestic dogs and share a common ancestor. So, you know, they're often used as a bit of a model for um, social uh, canine social behaviour. And even within that species uh, and the many subspecies that, you know, that those that there aren't those very kind of structured patterns like not every wolf lives in a group this way and there's mm. all these kind of variations and, and caveats and, and exceptions to all the rules and things like that mm. which is very much the case with biology in general um, and then if we look at um, feral dog or like free living dogs um, uh, in various kind of environments around the world um, those dogs live in different kind of again very varying social structures according to environmental pressures and very much got to do with the ecological niche which refers to where they fit in in terms of food webs and food chains right um so those some of these free living populations that live off uh 
prey animals and hunting and they tend to form uh, more cohesive groups and they Mm -hmm. tend to do more of those kind of stuff whereas dogs that live off more kind of scavenging type livelihood um those dogs are probably more colonial they probably are a little bit more solitary than maybe you know group livers or they they might have you know very individual relationships so domestic dogs then are completely bonkers on top of that because we keep them in such a weird social bubble yeah we socially isolate them mm-hmm. and then ex- and then might expose them to really intense short interactions and then nothing uh, with other yes. dogs and there's been a little bit of work that's looked at kind of dyadic relationships so these kind of uh, the possibilities for mm-hmm. identifying dominant subordinate relationships amongst pairs of dogs dyads mm-hmm. um and um a little bit of work has looked at that, like very little, very little, though. And 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 generally, there was that that group that was looking at this uh, population in a daycare uh, kind mm-hmm. of setting, and they found that yeah, some dogs appeared to form these kind of dyadic relationships, but most mm-hmm. of the dogs didn't appear to do mm-hmm. that. Sometimes there were social structures amongst individual, uh, you know, within individual relationships. Lots of times there wasn't, um, mm-hmm. so. Again, this entire thing of trying to say that domestic dogs are going to structure their social behavior in this one prescriptive way mm. is just, it's not possible to actually mm. uh, say that because it seems to be so different. So, humping, you would absolutely imagine, could be something that relates to social structure, but it could also not at all and be have got to do with just things getting out of control a little bit mm. and these dogs trying to seek a way some way of uh, possibly you know kind of recovering from that mm. uh, or maintaining the peace I mean my dog had a, a buddy where they would kind of when they were younger they would just kind of switch and uh, I'll hump you and then we'll have a little um, <laughs> uh, kind mm. of bitey face play or a little run around and then you hunt me and then mm. we'll do this and this is what they did and everybody seemed fine with that and the two individual dogs were having a great time mm. and it appeared <laughs> to be part of their um, relationship and my dog's entire but the other male was neutered and mm. um, they this is just what they did and yeah. this is how they interacted and formed part of their relationship and that's and nobody seemed to have a problem with it so generally speaking if it's happening all the time i would be looking for patterns mm-hmm. you know but you know is it happening with certain dogs that's happening after certain you know kind of interactions or does it happen after a certain length of time for example or when he's mm-hmm. really exhausted or something like that yeah. um and then i might look at well how is the humpy dealing with it are yeah. they kind of cool with it um and but i would probably be thinking about in general, I would probably be thinking about maybe this is just too much uh, and I'd, I'd maybe be, you know, establishing some breaks earlier on um, in, the inter- in, in the in the in the proceedings and, uh, yeah. um, you know, pr- pr- before it gets to that. And then obviously, if it kind of goes to a point where one dog's doing it to another dog and kind of in a harassing way, you know, as in mm-hmm. they're not listening to the other dog telling them to stop or the other dog just kind of goes still and quiet, mm-hmm. uh, well, then, you know, that obviously has to be stopped and and, mm-hmm. and redirected and that kind of thing. Um, I would generally be quite cautious about allowing it to happen a lot, particularly amongst unfamiliar mm. dogs, because I just feel yeah. it can go south, you know, in a, well, yeah. 
in those yeah. sorts of environments. And people get really embarrassed if their dog does yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I definitely get that it's a behaviour that people are, you know, and particularly if dogs directed towards other people or we, I'll often mm. see it or hear about it in dogs that um, after somebody has come in, after like a visitor or whatever yeah. has a guest has mm. come in and the dog will go and find their cushion or find a leg or whatever, <laughs> find some some something, um, yeah. <laughs> something warm to hump and, uh, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and do it then or we'll have dogs doing it uh, when they're kind of um, <clears throat> wound up mm. um, uh, you know after kind of being excited or uh, uh, being wound up and it, it forms a bit of kind of their I, I guess functioning to re- help them recover a little bit uh, from from those sorts of excitement so it can certainly happen in a really in a wide range of contexts and we need to do a little bit of data gathering before we could do anything but is it always or consistently got to do with rank or some sort of hierarchical mm. interaction? No, no, I would not say that's the case at all. Yeah. Could it? Yeah, possibly. Um, but I would, I would probably look for other. If it's you know, I I would be looking at other patterns first, or I'd be looking to identify the patterns first. Should I say before I'd be saying that that's what it would be? You know, yeah. that it would probably not be at the top of my list. Is what I would say. There. No, and they can they can can be part. Remember, there was a little dog that had been rehomed from us from my previous um mm. job and it was part of his little ritual he was neutered mm. as well but it was like <laughs> the evening i think it was it's after his dinner and yeah a certain you know what I mean, you know i'm gonna say so it was like a series of things that mm-hmm. had developed for whatever reason over time and this was part of it that it was him and his blanket and it was a few minutes and then that was it and it was yeah. it was every single night he wasn't doing mm-hmm. any harm to anyone they didn't really see any problem with it although they did ask and say is this normal or should we stop this mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff and he was doing really no harm to anyone kind of thing so it yeah. can develop like that they might just mm-hmm. do it and it, it it's it works for whatever reason for them and that's why they repeat it just like anything else but um, i think also yeah. like because it tends to cause such a strong response from us there can be a yeah. lot of attention there can be a lot yeah, of notice exactly. paid to us as well yeah exactly exactly yeah so okay well i think that answered okay <laughs> that um We'll come on to some other kind of similar um, related uh, questions uh, to do with that whole sphere. Yeah, no, not (laughs) to do with hoping. (laughs) But um, this one, obviously, we've we've spoken about um, Decker being entire uh, Mm -hmm. many times on on, on the podcast. But I hear I've heard it um, from in places where I have worked and also out, out and about that there's a theory that if you don't neuter a male dog they can become uh, unmanageable uh, and possibly aggressive if they're not neutered at all and i still hear it every now and again so i just wanted to <laughs> i know <laughs> i can hear the silence on the other side yeah but um i still hear it a lot so um yeah i mean would you like to talk or comment on that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think there's, you know, certainly what I feel is, is that there's kind of quite a lot of scaremongering mm. around entire males or entire animals in general. I mean, if you talk in horses, they'll talk about stallions and all of these sorts of things as well and, and things like yeah. that. And I think there's been a pretty strong cultural pro-neutering attitude for a really long time. And, yeah. and um, you start to go, well, where is that how far does that go and how far does the evidence go and mm. 
you know, I suppose it's like everything. Like I, I work with a ton of dogs that are neutered who have a lot of those issues that if this were a, an, an entire male, we would say is, you know, is this behavior related to testosterone? Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, uh, and I mentioned about bitches and tire bitches, they're, you know, kind of showing hormonal behavior like humping as they come into season, but, but individual animals are way more than just their hormones. Right. Yeah. Um, and we would say that around about people as well, but they're mm-hmm. incredibly impactful. The physical state of the body is incredibly impactful. Mm-hmm. So the thing about testosterone is, is testosterone is kind of a stupid hormone, really. I mean, if you've met a lot of boys, you will know, yes. you know, testosterone does not aid in them becoming more sensible, is what I would say there. Oh, no. no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Oh. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then if you think of like, teenagers who are going through a ton of this kind of brain change they're going through body change and then they're going through all this you know Mm. hormonal change um you know it's not going to facilitate wise carry on at all at all so um you know all behavior even if it's physically derived if you like right so if it's testosterone based behavior all behavior is ultimately environmental as in what happens when the animal does that behavior is going to drive them doing that behavior again so yeah certainly there are things that um intact males might do that people will find problematic but those things happen because there are are environmental forces behind that so for example we might talk about an entire male who does a lot of marking in the home so he's cocking his leg a lot in the house or whatever wherever he's taken he's cocking his leg and Mm. he's doing that in response to something it's not just he's blindly you know walking around in a testosterone urine you know (laughs) rage and he has to pee on everything there's something that's you know uh reinforcing that behavior there's something environmental that's reinforcing that behavior Mm. the testosterone behind it though may make that reinforcement more uh valuable or more yeah. salient. So if you are a male that, you know, and testosterone is causing, not causing, but, you know, contributing to a lot of this marking behavior, that marking behavior is a normal part of social interactions with other males and with females as well, um, to let them know that you're available and that you're wonderful. And of course, we have to remember about uh, domestic dogs is, is what we've done there is we've selected for the males to be sexually active all the time. Yeah. So if we look at wild canids, they only start to produce sperm when it makes sense to do that, when the yeah, females yeah. are going to be coming into heat because there's no point a wild animal doesn't need to be putting in all that energy into doing something when it's not going to go anywhere whereas uh, male dogs are um viable if you like uh, all the time right right they're otherwise healthy obviously um so they're you know so um they're always ready to go so there's always quite a lot of of that going on so Mm. you know we, we can they become unmanageable? Yeah, they can. But that's because of environmental forces, right? Yeah. So I have an entire male dog who doesn't particularly mark a whole lot, doesn't really go seeking out issues, you know, interactions with other dogs, has chosen many other reinforcers over a, sta- a bitch in standing heat. Um mm. So kind of has all the equipment, but doesn't really know what to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then is terrified when, you know, she flirts with him and tries to tell him what she wants. He's absolutely, totally overwhelmed by the whole notion of oh, being yes. a dad. Um, he, has no, <laughs> he doesn't really know what to be doing with himself. Uh, God love him. <laughs> um, so, um, I mean, you know, 
this is not a, a, a dog where, and I had said, you know, all along that I keep him entire, but if really, if there was some reason for health or behavioral reasons that, you know, he yeah. was directing behavior, for example, particularly, you know, aggressive behavior towards other males, or if he was really on the hunt for ladies, or if he was doing a ton of marking or attempting to escape or roam or wander, you know, in, in his search for uh, uh, bitches or whatever. But none of that ever arose, ever. And that's because environmentally he was managed well. Yeah. So he's capable of all of those things um, when he's put into those environmental conditions where that makes that uh, carry on reinforcing, right? Mm. Um, so, And that's the case for all behavior. So I, you know, we... With the the whole neutering thing, and like I was only thinking about this the other day because it came up in another conversation where uh, about ten years ago, a little bit over ten years ago, when I got him, and mm. he was still entire at about uh, he must have been about thirteen months of age, and there was a photograph of him, and his tackle was yeah. very obvious. I mean, he's no hair, so it's there, and if yeah. there's a photo from behind. They feature, but that way, um, and nice little silhouette, yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> oh, it was, it's more than a silhouette, uh, but anyway, he'd be delighted, his head would be swelling if you heard if you understood what I was saying about him, yeah, <laughs> and hoping all the girl dogs are listening. <laughs> and I got a ton of uh, hassle online because I had published this photograph of a dog, and to the point that somebody actually said to me, uh, Oh, did you get neut neutral or whatever they're called, neuticles, yeah, the you know, the, the implants, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the scrotal implants that you give a dog. Yeah. As in, how, like, that was mm. what I would do rather than keep him entire. Like, I would go yeah. to that ridiculous level. Wow. And I was like, no, he's all, he's all there, he's all real. Uh, no implants here. Um, yeah. And that was about 10 years ago. And that's because, um, you know, I was well aware of what was happening in terms of us reconsidering our blanket neutering notions that we mm. really had to adopt for very good reasons, I would have said, you know, in terms of population control. And what's yeah. interesting about the the whole neutering uh, thing is, is that the, the, the amount of research that we've done on neutering, which isn't a lot, and it's pretty skewed samples, but there's been very little to look at how effective or not neutering schemes are on population control, which I think is very interesting. We yeah. presume that this is the reason that we do it, and we presume that it's successful. We don't actually have that data. It doesn't really exist. Um, no. and, uh, and we so, can all know. see years on, it's not. Well, impact, well, the thing, yeah, well, this yeah. is the thing. So, you know, we, we now have over the last 10 years, we've been able to collect a lot of um, data on neutering dogs and different breeds of dogs because we've huge populations of these animals now have been mm -hmm. neutered um, at different ages and different breeds and all of these sorts of different things. So we, we have a kind of a good, you know, overview of, of how this impacts um, dogs. But actually, like I say, still, the, the you know, the, being able to draw any kind of significantly um, concrete conclusions is just isn't available. But certainly mm. we need to ask questions about it. I mean, we can't expect to change the entire hormonal landscape in the body and for there to be no changes at health or behavioral level. You know, like, yeah. you know, that's a ridiculous thing, a ridiculous mm. expectation. So what has happened is the pro neutering lobby, I guess, for want of a better term, has mm. pushed neutering as being the responsible thing to do for a very long time. Mm. And 
I can understand why we would have felt the need to do that. But any time we're dealing with any sort of blanket recommendation, I think we have to be careful. And I think that's what's happened. And I'm kind of glad that a lot of the time there are lots of vets who will say, no, we're going to wait a little bit before neutering this dog. But I think at the same time, we also need to add that nuance to it. So it's not just a case of, well, we used to say neuter everything and now we say neuter nothing. We can't do that. We have to take it as an individual basis. And sometimes there are going to be situations where neutering is going to probably contribute to that animal being healthier being safer more likely to stay in their current home uh, or being easier to rehome as whatever the case may be and sometimes we might we have to you know weigh it up and sometimes we have to go and uh, you know i've absolutely had this conversation with Uh, pet owners where we've gone you know what's going to kill this dog quicker is it this dog's behavior or is it cancer that might come around if we neuter him early is Mm. neutering actually going to or likely to help with this behavior because that's another question that we have that really we don't have good data on it because behavior is so affected by environmental conditions Mm. that it's very difficult to say that you know if we had left that dog entire we would see completely different behavior at the other side. We've no way of knowing that. And, you know, so certainly one of the things that can be helpful to give us a glimpse of what the the neutered male is going to look like is the implant, is the hormonal implant that stops the production or stops the cascade of hormones that ends in the production of testosterone and and, and in the body. And that that, that implant then, it's like a little microchip essentially, and it slowly releases hormones that inhibit other hormones that eventually inhibit the production of testosterone. Mm. And those implants can give us some insight into what the dog is going to be like if we do surgically castrate them. Mm. So once that's active and in the body and it lasts, you know, a good bit, bit of time and it has similar impacts or seems to have similar impacts on behavior. So mm. I've worked with a lot of dogs that, um, where that's been, been done. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, dogs where we might have question about surgical castration, or we might want to know, is this going to, um, benefit this dog in terms of behavioral changes and make this make, help this dog become healthier help this dog become safer um so so that's happened but i i I don't think we can just blanket say yes all male dogs are going to be trouble and you know all of these things all these terrible things that entire males are going to do and the same like i say about stallions and things like that now and i Mm. fully recognize that you know we're talking about horses and dogs and it's very very different and Mm. the way we interact with them and just the virtue of their size, you know, yes. <laughs> and it's, it's often often a difference. I know there's teeny tiny horses and very big dogs as well, but um, <laughs> but again, it's about that individual situation. So um, I don't have a strong pro or anti neutering bias. I would say mm. um, I happen to have a dog who has done really well as an entire male. He's nearly twelve now, so unless there was, you know, a very significant benefit to castrating him. So, for example, very serious prostatitis or mm. um, a, a, a testicular growth, for example. Mm. Um, I would be, you know, I'm not going to be going surgically neutral. I would be putting no. a dog at this age under anesthetic, for no. example, unless we really had to. Um, and certainly wouldn't be going cutting into his body, even though it's relatively minor surgery. Mm. Um, but, you know, so those are the only reasons that that would have happened at any point. And I did say, you know, I did kind of 
try want to get him as close to behavioral maturity as I could before mm. having to do it. And he was not an easy adolescent. And I would have said that social maturity came very late for him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I would say that there's quite a bit of adolescent stuff still going on. So who knows if I had neutered him earlier, would that have been different or not? Yeah. I don't know. We've no way of saying that, right? No. We've no way of knowing that. So yet entire animals can certainly be more complicated in some realms. But like I say, I work with just as many neutered animals that um, show the same sort of behavior, the same level of behavior that people find problematic, if you like. Um, You know, so I I can't say that keeping them entire is the cause for that or anything like that. Um, But I I think we have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Um, And, you know, and possibly if you know, um, uh, the male dog's father or you know male relatives of his and things yeah. like that and have yeah. an understanding then of what those tendencies might be neutered or not that could also be helpful um, obviously usually don't have yeah, access to I that know. information I know but any kind of blanket stuff mm-hmm. usually is bad yeah. news so we're so. always going back to that same common theme with the, with dog stuff is that it, it, it must be or should be done in, on an individual basis yeah. all the yeah. time for everything mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, I think so. Uh, but at the same time, then we also have to go and look at environmental stuff and go, is this dog likely to be, you know, in contact with the entire bitches or poorly managed or, you know, oops, litters can mm. happen and, you know, very yeah. easily, way easier than people think they are. And people think they have their male dogs contained, but they forget about bitches. Bitches, when they're in standing heat, they are just as enthusiastic to find a boyfriend as the boys are to find <laughs> a girlfriend, right, believe yeah. me. Um, and uh, yeah. this notion that, you know, that that they're not, uh, this passive mm. female misogynistic notion, even still in natural history documentaries, you will still see, I couldn't not bring it up. Um, <laughs> uh, you'll still see that kind of notion, this kind of idea, which is total bull, of course. Um, mm. And uh, bitches in standing heat are... Uh, very enthusiastic or a lot again you can't make blanket statements but a lot of them are very very enthusiastic about it (laughs) and so people kind of think oh well i have the male dog controlled under control or whatever Mm. but they forget about the bitch doing her best to get in under fences and over fences and through fences and out and all the rest of it to find her suitors you know um so we have to remember (laughs) that too so we, we have to take those kind of situations into play and we have to consider the health ramifications there certainly seems to be a lot of evidence that's suggesting, you know, that neutering dogs or lots of dogs um, before their be- their kind of bone and musculoskeletal um, yeah. systems are mature, that that may be contributing to problems later on, for example. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, but again, the, the samples are skewed because a lot of these kind of this research has come from referral hospitals, for example, where you would mm-hmm. expect to have higher rates of cancer and complex conditions, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all true. those things as well. So, you know, so we have to we have to be careful with how we interpret that data or how we mm. apply the interpretations of those of that data mm. but yeah. again we also can't expect to make such drastic changes and we have to remember that testosterone doesn't just function to um you know kind of guide sexual behavior or whatever no, um yeah. you know it does it does lots of other stuff and we have to remember that it has protective functions in the brain as well which is why mm-hmm. women and are more prone to ptsd or other stress-related um, issues because we don't tend to produce as much testosterone in the brain mm-hmm. um you know so there's it has lo- lots of wide-reaching um 
you know, kind of implications that we probably didn't really consider because, again, it was considered a kind of societal emergency, really, this overpopulation of pets. Um, mm. and, uh, and, and you know, whereas here in Ireland, we don't really have like feral or free living populations of dogs, no. but they do in other countries and, yeah. and, uh, and, and neutering requirements and things like that might be considered there. Um, mm. But we do have to be careful with it here. We're not exactly doing great here in terms of numbers um in terms of unwanted dogs so you know so i do think we need to consider that as well you know as all of those things so like if we take my situation i'm in a situation where he can be really well controlled he doesn't really show any interest in doing all those boy dog things he doesn't mark particularly even out and about he, he doesn't mark a lot um he doesn't mark in the house he hasn't you know since he was a baby um he doesn't really he's not interested in other males he's not interested in have you know other girls are going anywhere so you know and obviously he's in a situation where he can be well controlled and contained and um managed well and trained well in all those environmental conditions and stuff like that so you know he's he's low risk you know um and uh, but at the same time if he had had difficulty in some of those areas i might have considered it a little bit more but it's good that yeah yeah, i think you know i think it's good that now we're starting to consider that we're not just chopping off bits you know um as soon as possible yeah that we're just considering i know it's still we're still on that journey and we still have to undo some of the the kind of the blanket neutering kind of stuff and things like that Mm -hmm. like i said about a decade ago i got a lot of online harassment about having uh, an entire boy like as if that was anybody else's business um, but, um you know but again online <clears throat> um but it shows you know that where we've come that now it's it's more accepted even though at that point i had an idea obviously of of where this research was going and what we were starting to consider and all those sorts of stuff and yeah, again it, mm. you know nobody else's business but it's taken that long for it to become more acceptable now in um in, in you know amongst the regular kind of yeah community. and i have to say um vets in general um they've kind of said um they would question like for us in particular we we would neuter in a lot of people's uh, opinion early earlier than um um a lot of people think and vets would push back and and ask why you know for neutering at a certain age can we not wait a little bit longer um, which I'd agree with. I think most people would agree with. But for for us, obviously, there's a there's a timeline and a schedule for the pups to come in to start their training so that they can be um, qualified and, and go out with their their clients. So it's it's um, usually it's similar in most schools uh, around the world um, at, at the the age at which they would be um, neutered and spayed by. But I found that recently vets definitely are pushing back more on. And asking for more time, which is interesting because it's it's it, I suppose it has been quite a long time um, um, since I worked on my previous um, job. But yeah. then it was six months and even maybe younger that 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 um, dogs were being neutered and spayed. And, and now it's pushed on. A lot of vets are saying if you can wait till at least they're two for, for males and for a female to have one or two seasons mm-hmm. would be better. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it's it's a it's a big change. I think it's taken a, it's taken a while to get there, but there has been a big change for sure. And I think if again, if it's if nobody can be judged and um, make the decision based on the dog individually, I think that would be much better. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. And like, you know, we have to bear in mind that, you know, the, the kind of the cultural context um you know how these things happen so like you talk about bitches there having a heat or and things yeah. like that and, and really the reason to do that is so you know where they are in their cycle yeah. and you can neuter them more judiciously in terms of you know what's happening what we think might be happening hormonally and stuff mm-hmm. like that ideally we want to neuter her and spay her when she's you know hormonally inert there isn't mm-hmm. a whole lot of you know between her you know her pre the end of her last cycle and, and the, before the yeah. beginning of the next one mm-hmm. and that seems to be the healthiest way yeah. of neutering them and 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 all those sorts of things and you know the the research that we base a lot of our conclusions that we you know and again how, how it's interpreted and how that interpretation is applied then you know there has been a review done of the work that's looked at for example allowing bitches to have a number of heats and then the the um the implications on that in relation to um, mammary tumours and, and stuff like that. And, and the evidence is actually quite poor. It's actually quite weak. And, you know, so we do have to be careful with that. There is a little bit of a tendency often in the clinical literature to go with, you know, kind of weaker forms of evidence, which are kind of case studies, um, mm. which are, you know, expert opinion, but not necessarily valid evidence that's applicable right across the board or for large populations, for example, and things yeah. like that. At the same time, recognising that, you know, people, pet, pet owners will often um, not have good skills and knowledge in terms of managing their bitches uh, cycles and yeah. managing their bitches and their males kind of contact. Um, and, and that's something that actually that I found really concerning is working in um, with a lot of pet owners and them, both male and female pet owners really not having a good understanding of the bitch cycle and what's happening mm. and what's going on and things like that. And I think we could do a whole podcast just on that, for example, yeah. uh, which would be revelatory because it's not menstruation like we have on women. So it works yeah. slightly different. Um, humans are weird mammals in that we menstruate and uh, don't have Easter cycles in the same way as, as many other mammals do, which is what we see with bitches. Um, and uh, so menstruation is a specific thing, right? Uh, yeah. Whereas this Easter cycle, Cycle, this heat cycle that fishes have is also a specific thing another way that mammals do this thing um and i think that would certainly be a focus of, of education if people understood how that worked and how to recognize it i mean um most people i think go oh yeah there's going to be bleeding but they have mm. no idea what they're actually looking for and uh, and that kind of thing yeah. um and i think that would be a really important focus you know so that at least they'd be able to manage their you know their female dog mm. in that around that time and what they need to do and what's the danger and and all those things and again it's pretty typical of kind of you know a lot of kind of sex ed is kind of you yeah. know yard level yeah yeah standing even adults even a made big human sex you know, oh, know. Yeah. Uh, things like that and, uh, yeah. and 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 you can imagine then you know it's kind of chuckled at in relation to 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 to, to kind of to dogs or whatever um and those sorts of things so you know i think that could be particularly valuable uh in in and of itself you know mm. as well as people understanding what actually 
is neutering? How does it work? Yeah. Um, you know, what is castration? What is a spay? What's actually happening? What are the other options? What you know, there isn't. You know, we when we talk about spays, we're usually talking about a very hysterectomy. So it's the whole thing, the whole womb, and the the two ovaries are taken, mm. and the the whole shebang is taken. Um, everything is taken out. But there are other options. There are lots of different ways of of. of you know, doing this castration tends to be a bit more straightforward. I know the boys don't yeah. want to hear this, but it's very simple it surgery. It's external. Yeah. It's a very small incision, usually one or two sutures, if they exist at all. There are, you know, some complications. It's such a small incision. I, so I, I just yeah, told you that story before, like uh, um, the vet where I worked before. Yeah, she knew I was quite squeamish and uh, <laughs> did did yeah surprise me one day by by showing uh, showing me what 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 had happened and um, just get my reaction. But I was really surprised by how yeah. small the incision was i was yeah. like whoa uh, yeah. yeah whereas the you know the spay is major oh, surgery yeah, absolutely huge. major surgery it's yeah. huge recovery is massive and we had this conversation actually i only yeah. learned recently about um you know even with uh keyhole surgery the healing yeah. that has to happen yeah. to the fascia so to this kind of layer that kind of keeps all the layers of muscle and things like that together in the body is still the same so actually there's still extensive Which internal I didn't know either Um, and um, so a very very competent professional that I've that I sometimes work with called Annalie who Mm. runs a kind of an online canine conditioning um, uh, kind of program I guess Canine Conditioning Coach.com, I'm going to say, check her oh, out. Oh, yeah, you sent um, me the link for that yeah, stuff before. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. she was yeah. talking about it because she does a kind of a spay recovery program. Yeah. So that, you know, people yeah. with bitches post spay. And she was saying, you know what? It actually doesn't matter if they've had traditional surgical spay or keyhole, right? Where they've mm-hmm. just gone in this tiny incision. And um, that actually, already. yeah, there's a yeah. ton of healing that's still required. The mm. fascia, the, all of these layers, the same sort of stuff has happened inside because we've removed a huge organ um and all the other organs will be displaced and things like that so there's actually you know so i'm not saying one route is better than the other but just that we would consider and just wouldn't go well keyhole is fine they'll just she'll just be fine with that you know she'll recover really fast and actually it doesn't seem to be the case at all that they need tons of support as well um just looks better yeah, yeah, yeah. possibly looks better to us, right? Yeah, it looks yeah. from the external bits, as in yeah. this. And so that 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 has to have an impact as well. If you have a smaller incision, that's obviously going to be more comfortable. Yeah. But actually, internally, there's possibly still quite a lot of healing that has to happen. That sounds and so, like it. Yeah, yeah mm. and so the bitch will need, Jeez. you know, yeah, 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 it's massive surgery, and we need to make sure mm. they have proper pain relief, um, and you know, for quite some time afterwards as well. Uh, to support them in that and we're quite careful in terms of their exposure to mm. activity and all those sorts of things as well you know so it's yeah. a huge thing so I can't even remember how we started down this route but here we are <laughs> <laughs> well, does, does an unusured male dog become aggressive or unmanageable oh if not yeah 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 sure he can but so can an unusured male <laughs> There you go. <laughs> but I much prefer the long it. answer. Oh, no. <laughs> it was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So actually, this is this is longer than than I thought. So we'll do one more quick, okay. really silly one. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Some people believe still that it's very important that they eat first before they feed uh, their dog. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Discuss. 
Oh, okay. That's the end of that. Yeah. Uh, again, it, we kind of <laughs> we kind of have this. Uh, this comes back to this dominance thing, doesn't yeah. it? Right. So this very mm. simple, simplified version of dominance was applied to was taken from I don't know such a skewed story and and again I don't think the research was ever entirely robust because actually what we've seen since has you know changed our idea of kind of social structure and things like that so the first thing to say is that dominance is an absolutely appropriate ethological construct that we can discuss right Um, and so often what happens in dog training because there's been this kind of history of uh real confusion and inaccuracy with the application of the term that we've kind of shut down any discussion about it and Mm. it's still to this day it's used wildly inappropriately and inaccurately in terms of dogs and their relationships with one another and Mm. certainly in relation to the relationships with people. So this inaccurate version of kind of hierarchy and social structure in canids was applied then to the social relationships between people and dogs and applied as a kind of a rank reduction procedure as in our interactions with dogs should be about making sure that they don't ever get to become boss or you know head of the whatever and you know the only all we have to do with any of these things is just examine it very very superficially and they all fall apart like what would happen if the dog became head of the household (laughs) like are they going to pay the mortgage are they going to order the tesco order like what where does this go like how would it benefit them right right so it's, it's not an adaptive move right? It's not going to help in terms of ensuring any sort of evolutionary significance. So like even just at that stage. So one of those things was, was that there was this notion that the head of whatever, the pack or the household of the, you know, would would eat first. And of course, the thing that we see again, when we look at wild canids, um, we look at at, at very different um, kind of very diverse uh, behavioral tendencies and things like that in relation to, to to this sort of thing. So, so it was this idea that if we ate first, then that would be the way of I don't know talent. I mean, to the point yeah. that I've worked with many clients who have worked with trainers, and I don't mean twenty years ago, but I'm, uh, but I no, also like, it was happening. But like, I mean, currently, <laughs> that's what I mean. You still hear this, yes, yeah. currently, and yeah. they would say that actually, what they would have to do is before feeding their dog, that they would take a biscuit, like a digestive or whatever, <laughs> and <laughs> hold up their dog's bowl and put the digestive in and oh, eat little bits of the Jesus. digestive biscuit or whatever out of the dog's bowl, and then put the dog's food into the bowl and then give the bowl to the dog, and this was going to. <laughs> Some, do something it yeah. was going to make sure that this that dog stupid, knew yeah, 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 yeah. The, was going yeah. On. the dog is like the, what are you doing the, what this are you so doing yeah, yeah exactly are we sharing bowls yeah. <laughs> um can i get digestives in the can bowl I have like, yeah, can i have the biscuit please <laughs> so uh, um God. so yeah so i laugh but i mean this has been the solid founding in our industry for a very oh, long time. people pay yeah. for that yeah they do they, they pay a lot of money for that um and you know and it, it expands right the way across various levels of ridiculousness again which if you just scratch the surface they start to fall apart and the thing is Mm. is that if people do believe these things or have seen them have read Mm. about them Mm -hmm. it's absolutely a apt that you may have thought yeah that makes sense because it's very it's easier to kind of sell this idea and i guess there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance as in you 
you hear, oh, we're, we're saying this and we shouldn't really ridicule it, should we? Because, you know, genuinely people, genuinely people will believe this stuff and I don't want to feel people to feel shamed if they do and i want them to feel safe if they have questions about it as well so does that mean you know whatever follow on that you have after that i think you Mm -hmm. you have to know that you can ask those questions and absolutely we'll answer them Mm. um and things like that but also at the same time we need to start examining these things and our notions about dogs and look at well culturally you know, what's the context for this sort of idea? You know, this idea that a, a dog would come in and take over our home. And that's very, it's very easy to sell that the notion of this being very scary and, um, you know, and that you would need to protect yourself from that. And it, it makes sense then because, it, you know, if we do these things, it appears that dogs are, are going to become easier to, to live with or all those sorts of things, you know. So I think we do need to examine these things closely. And and, and certainly that fit with the cultural context at the time, mm. which was, you know, largely the 1950s, 1960s is when this stuff originated, really. So mm. I think it's important to remember that as well, that we've moved on a ton in uh, how we see dogs and and. Um, and, and what uh, and what they're doing and um, mm-hmm. how we live with them. He's shaking off here yeah, in the background. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, you know, um, so that has all changed. And so, in ten years' time, or in twenty years' time, or in thirty years' time, or maybe in longer years' time, um, there'll be a, you know a similar kind of review and going. Okay, well, this was what was relevant to them in in that cultural context. So I think I don't think we can you know, separate that out. I think that's a very, very much still a relevant thing. But right now the evidence suggests that no, you don't need to eat before your dog, just give them the food. That's what they care about. Yeah. They want yeah. For fact's sake, share the fucking digestive yeah, just, with yeah. them. You'll get yeah, more yeah. out of that than than that. Yeah. 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 And, and 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 then the other notions that go with that then are things like, you know, reaching into the dog's bowl, taking the bowl back off mm-hmm. the dog while they're eating. Yikes. You know, all of those sorts of things. And of course you know, don't do that. <laughs> no, no, no. Again, Please, if we scratch yeah. the surface, these these things start to fall apart, right? Yeah. And of course, the, the the main thing is, of course, the dogs know that we're not dogs. No, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the there's been thing. some really, really yeah. clever, funny videos done uh, around this this these kind of things. Yeah. Uh, yeah online yeah. that that show the ridiculousness of it. But you know, the 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 hardest part as well when people are struggling with something and they ask for help and maybe some of the advice isn't great they they'll often say afterwards once you say to them oh no you, you know you, that's that's not you know relevant or no yeah, that's yeah, not any, and they, that. they'll say i knew i you know yeah, what i knew yeah. i had i had a feeling but yeah they had paid so much money or sure. what they had done up until this point hadn't worked so they felt yeah. like they they might as well try it yeah. um and it's so hard because there's no there's no comeback because when you go yeah. back to that person you say hey you know I've been doing the thing or eating the food out of the bowl the figaro out of the bowl or whatever yeah. you know it's kind of it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not really, <laughs> you're way fancier actually, than me I'm with my digestion now yeah um, so <laughs> when I've done that but like it hasn't worked and then often those people that have been giving that sort of advice uh-huh. will put it back on the the, yeah. the person to say. Well, you know, you're obviously not doing it right, or it's the wrong type of yeah. <laughs> the or they up the ante, they up yeah. the ante, yeah. yeah. And so we have to use something more aversive, more yeah. intrusive, yeah. Yeah, and then you know, 
Because this dog is really dominant. This dog is really dominant and you have a real problem here. And it's so sad when you can, when it gets to a really bad level um, and you can see how it's gotten there over maybe years of of, uh, terrible advice from multiple sources. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. And then then they call call you. Yeah. 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 To come and fix it all. But if it's if it feels weird, like often we don't. I think it's probably nowadays in general we don't have maybe time or something to to trust. There's a lot to say about your gut instinct. If if you feel it's weird, it 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 might very well be. It probably is. You know. Um. But again, with the dog stuff, it's because it's not intuitive. You have to learn it, and and it, yeah, it takes a long time. You know. And I think that there's something really important here about that is what I will say is is that when I work with people whose dogs are showing displaying behaviors that are really concerning for them and possibly over a long period of time and like you say they might have gone through lots of trainers or lots of professionals or sought Mm. a lot of advice or implemented a lot of advice and the Mm. thing is is that even if the dog's behavior is worrying so let's say we take that example where the dog is growling when somebody approaches them when they have their food bowl right and um even if that behavior is really concerning and even what they've been doing doesn't seem right, maybe it seems like it might be contributing to more distress or it's not effective or whatever. Um, it is, it, it, there is some comfort in doing it as in it is predictable. They know, for example, that if I do this thing, the dog responds in this way, even if I don't like it. So they're, mm. you know, and then I'll come in and I'll say, well, actually, all of that stuff is wrong. Now, I won't say it like this, right? So please don't be scared <laughs> if you're seeking help. Uh, all of that stuff is wrong. We have to go back to basics and do go back and do all of this. And this is this is the realistic outcome. Uh, we're not, you know, because I don't work from a point of view where, uh, you know, we just inhibit behavior. That's not really my thing. So if that's, yeah. you know, that's not what we're going to achieve. These are the realistic outcomes. This is the way we go about that. Um, this is what we have to stop. This is why this could be contributing to difficulties or, or intensifying this or whatever. And even though all of that, other, all of that makes sense, Mm-hmm. The other stuff was predictable yeah. and there was comfort in doing it because they've mm-hmm. been doing it for a long time yeah, and they yeah. knew exactly, you know. So mm-hmm. I would say be careful with, you know, you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that good instinct isn't really a thing. And I would say, you know, so I, I tend to find people are very conflicted and there is a period where they will put really good management in place for about four to six weeks and they yeah. will expect a big turnaround at that point. And if there isn't a big turnaround at that point, then they will tend to revert to things with, that they were more comfortable with, even if to them it doesn't make sense. And even if what I'm suggesting or what somebody else is suggesting does appear to make more sense, it's very, very difficult because there's so much conflicting information. And also, yeah. if they go and do their own research, quote unquote, um, oh, God. they will find that most of the sources on the internet will agree with them uh, or wherever they do anything. their research. You yeah, can find right. anything yes, on the internet. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and there's all sorts of inherent bias and there the algorithm, mm. they've already been researching this, the algorithm is already sending them stuff yeah. about this. So there's lots of reasons why this is going to happen, you know. Um, mm. And I, I, I guess we, we have to be really careful with this. I, I, and this is why this is such a minefield, right? Because, you know, there are, there are people in our industry with all of the letters after their name and all of the pieces of paper and still might be providing dodgy advice. Yeah. 
And then there are people that don't have that stuff and are st- are providing really up to date and evidence based advice and, and you mm. know and current. And so it's very very difficult to say you must look out for this person who works this way or has these letters because that doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to get dodgy advice um and it's 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 really it's it's just and this is why it's such a minefield it's really Mm. really difficult and i really feel for pet owners um because of that you know and then the guilt they experience when they realize oh my god we've been doing this for years or months or whatever we've been doing and even though i knew in myself this Mm. wasn't right i didn't really have other options or whatever Mm. the thing is or or they feel that they have to do the thing because this is the expert that gave them this advice and all these Mm. things and so it's an absolutely horrible place to be and very very difficult and very conflicting Mm. um for them and it's so easy not easy that's the wrong word but it's much easier to slip back into those old predictable ways yeah. even though they're based on nothing and they're not effective yeah. or not effective in the way that they think they are mm. and here's the thing the bottom line is is that we have selected for dogs to be easy for us to intimidate yeah so we very little social pressure will intimidate dogs to the point that it suppresses their behavior. Mm. And when their behavior is suppressed, they appear obedient. Yeah. They appear uh, fine. They appear easy to deal with and manageable. They mm. appear tolerant. Mm. Um, and I think that's one of the most important things to remember is that it's incredibly easy to do that yeah. to dogs, to most dogs. And when they when it isn't, we up the ante or we'll say this is a really dangerous dog. Right? Yeah. He's so dominant. He's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's got two shock collars and a prong yeah. on him and he's, and he's still not mm. submitting or whatever the yeah. term is uh, and all these sorts of things. So it's always there's always an out, isn't there? There's yeah. always a way of that's putting it, it on the dog there's all yeah. there's there's you know we don't we're not accountable and mm. things like that and as we learn more about dog behavior and this is the thing is that when you learn more you know you'll you'll be able to do it better but mm. but um th- there isn't one of us that that hasn't made terrible mistakes about oh, our assumptions exactly. about dog behaviors yeah you know? um yeah. and all those sorts of things so you know i think it's um it's a, it's just such a minefield um, mm. uh, for 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 pet owners or anybody trying to find help for their for their dog. Like it it's is, so, yeah. such a it's such a, oh god, it's just so difficult. I I would hate to be in that position yeah. of having to try and find uh, suitable help in our industry uh, without that insider knowledge, without that basis in understanding the the, the kind of the, the the foundations of our field. Yeah. Um, you know, and it makes me incredibly cynical because I can see all the bull. Um, mm. And I don't, I don't think that's necessarily better either, but <laughs> but I really worry about, I really feel for pet owners because, um, you know, and they're seeking something. They seek. They want their pet to be better. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. They want their pet to be happier. They yeah. want to be happier with their pet and all those things. So it's incredibly difficult and they're going to see things through a very very biased lens of course and that's completely understandable Mm -hmm. um so i think that i think it's just really 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 difficult but certainly if your trainer advises that you need to eat out of the dog's bowl or (laughs) eat before the dog i think that's one that you can definitely step away from i can't think of a reasonable reason why we would be suggesting that unless that's what you're into. And if that's what you're into, go nuts. But <laughs> don't be thinking that it's going to have some miraculous impact 
on solving some behavior that your dog is showing. No, I'd imagine sharing the biscuit with your dog would be more beneficial to watch. Possibly. Sure. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Definitely. I know I would. That's what you want to do. You do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. I thought we finish on a silly one. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, they're cool. Thanks a million again. And I've um, Thank you. lots more where they came from. But oh, great. you mentioned something really good in there um, that we should definitely talk about soon. And we'll talk about it. Um, oh, OK. Yeah, you did. See, you forget these oh, things, good. but yeah, I write I them all down as you're, as you're. Oh, fair. You see, see you're yeah, in the flow state. And it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> and then there's all these things come out and I'm like, ah, yes. And I'll grab it and put it down. Do so, yeah, we'll, talk, we'll, oh, okay. we'll come back and talk about something oh, else then. Okay. Soon. <laughs> but um, thank you so much. What a surprise. As always. Thank if you enjoy the show remember to please subscribe to the podcast leave a rating and review and recommend it to your friends and family to help us reach and help more people and their dogs also please give us a follow on twitter at barkside pod and also on instagram at barkside pod to help grow our online community look after yourselves and your doggies Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to seeing you here again real, real soon.